0: Good morning, everyone. This morning is my privilege to share with you from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 through 31. Before we do, let's begin with prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness and kindness and mercy, for sending your son Jesus and giving us something to hope in beyond anything this world has to offer. May your word penetrate our hearts. May we hear, may we believe, may we trust. We want to give you all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So there's only a couple verses here. Last week, we covered what we don't want to do, which is boast before God or in his presence, because that would be foolish, because God is holy. Today, we want to talk about what it means to boast in God. So let's... First of all, go to the two verses that we're going to cover on the next slide and then we'll break that down a little bit. It says in 1 Corinthians one, thirty 30 30-31, by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the lord that him who boasts boast in the lord now in the context let me read that i mentioned this and if you weren't here last week i'll read it for you now last week we covered these verses 1 corinthians 1 27 through 29 but god has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise god has cho- chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, the base things of the world, and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. So now we have what we should do last week, what we should not do. To boast before God is abhorrent because God is holy, powerful, transcendent, and the ultimate Creator of everything and the final judge so how could it be that we could possibly boast in God that's the theme of the gospel so God is going to use unexpected people to show mercy to to bring glory to his own name now let's break down verse 30 the beginning part a little more closely notice what it says here But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. I think one of the most common misunderstandings of the gospel in the Christian faith, salvation, sanctification, and everything else important is that God has done his part, and now he's waiting for us to do our part. But in in reality, the truth is, God is the one who saves He's now waiting for us to add to what he didn't get done. So that's the misunderstanding. It's very important that we realize this. Now I realize that not only do of course every world religion rejects this, but it's hard for Christians to understand it. I admit it was very hard for me for many years to understand that everything is a gift of God. He uses means, but it's God's doing that were in Christ. God wasn't looking for somebody that could help him out. He wasn't looking for someone that would be better at being a Christian. We've talked about that. So, this alone is why God must be honored and praised. God alone should get the glory. The context and the grammar show a strong contrast to boasting before God. This is thematic, not only in Corinthians, but in the entire Bible. We see this in things that God's done in history. Eric preached about it in the genealogy. We talk about it many different times. God uses the things that are not. Uh, I'll not shout too loud. We're getting dialed in here. And let me quote a couple scholars here. I'm going to quote Dr. Gardner. okay um, I'll be calm I'll quote him while we're doing this now by contrast says Dr. Gardner he says because of God you are because of him suggests says Dr. Gardner that God is the effective cause of their Christian status in Christ but the phrase may also indicate that God is the source of their being in Christ. So that's my title. God is the source and the cause. Now the immediate question that many people ask, and I did, well, if that's the case, then why don't we just sit still and see what God does? But that is to discount the Great Commission. It's to discount the fact that God uses means. God has chosen the... Foolishness, used ironically, of the message preached to save those who will believe. So I believe with all my heart that if we declare the truth of the person and work of Christ, the means that he's ordained to save those who are lost in sin and to change the lives of those who believe in him and trust in him, that God will get all the glory And that those who are thus saved and sanctified and ultimately glorified will have nothing to boast in but God himself. That's what we mean by the glory of God alone. So you may boast in works or might or works or riches or anything you want to, but it won't give God glory. Now let's go to the second part of this verse, 1 Corinthians 130b who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So in Christ, those who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation, who believe the gospel, who are not there to defend religious traditions, human works, our own ideas about what God wants, but are only trusting in Christ... Those who believe in Christ, he is wisdom from God, and in him we have righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. God's wisdom is not that of the world. Now, in the bigger context of 1 Corinthians, what we find as we'll go, go forward in future sermons, that the Corinthians tended to get this wrong. They wanted to say, I'm the Christian with wisdom, and you don't get it. I'm the spiritual Christian, you're the carnal Christian. I'm the more advanced Christian, there's something wrong with you. And there were divisions, there was boasting, there were arrogant claims, and Paul wrote to correct that. So God's wisdom is not to cause us to exalt ourselves or to cast aspersions on others who are actually trusting the gospel, but to owe all glory and power and praise to God alone. And therefore, we defend the solace of the Bible. And I mentioned that last week. Grace alone, faith alone, you know, Christ alone, has taught in Scripture alone to the glory of God alone. God gets the glory. We believe that's biblical, and it is biblical. Dr. Taylor says that righteousness, sanctification, and redemption are three aspects of God's wisdom. Now some scholars would say wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption are four different things, but I believe that the context shows that wisdom which is what they were looking for is what we have in Christ and it shows that our righteousness and sanctification and redemption is only through Christ. Now let me make a statement about that that I have here in my notes. If we redefine the cross in terms of religious status, mysticism, hyperpiety, empty symbolism, or any other idea from the pagan culture, we boast in what God rejects. We might think we are wise, compared to ordinary christians but it is not our prerogative to make such comparisons again making the statement that i put on my nose anyone who comes to god on his terms is has done so only by grace through faith and those who have are truly wise the wisdom of god is rejected by the world As we've said many times every world religion says work harder try this do that do the work but god says that only by grace through faith is anyone saved continuing what i wanted to say here paul's list of righteousness sanctification and redemption are about what god has done for us and that is all a gift of god now, let's look at 1 Corinthians one thirty one, which is cited by Paul. 1 Corinthians one thirty one. Here from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. In order that, now it's a purpose statement. In order that. Why is it a gift from God? In order that. What? No one will boast. Let's read it. In order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Now, how is that going to happen? What is Paul talking about? Well, he's citing statements that come from the Old Testament. And they're illustrated in things God has done. They're illustrated, for example, in the genealogy that Eric preached about. God reversed the status of many people. He reversed the status of Mary. Remember, she was shamed, but God reversed her status. God reversed the status of Hannah. Hannah. God reversed the status of those he's chosen. Now let's look at... You can turn to this. I'll read it to you. If you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is so very important. By the way, in the Greek, the word for boast is the same word. So the issue is, what's our boast? The irony is that if we're pleasing God... We're not pleasing the world. No one was looking for a crucified Jewish Messiah. The Jews weren't looking for that because cursed is he who hangs on the tree. The Greeks weren't looking for that. They mocked him on the cross. But that's the plan that God brought forth. Now let's read it now that you found it. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, In the original was Yahweh, So God delights in justice, righteousness, uh, covenant love, and those are the very things he does by his spirit. These are the things he does in the lives of those who believe in him. And there's a siren song that would just draw everybody away, which is do more, try harder, prove that you're better than other people. And... God has chosen to do things His way. It has to bring forth salvation through His Son Jesus Christ, the Second Person of the Trinity, the One who existed as God and with God from from all eternity, through whom He created the world, according to John one. Now think about how many times this shows up in the Bible. As I was contemplating this and looking at these passages. I thought of several. I'll quote, I'll quote one to you, but you probably maybe have thought about the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 20. We won't go there, but jot it down. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 20, the Song of Moses. What did they sing about? God had done mighty deeds. He cast the horse and rider into the sea. And they praised God for what he did you think Israel could have gotten themselves through that sea if God hadn't parted it no how about this one Hannah Hannah is a great example and we could just read that but let me read from the very text that Paul alludes to which is the Septuagint of what Hannah said when God reversed things and I'll quote it in a version that you won't have but it's right out of the uh, Old Testament Greek translation, the Septuagint. Quote, the Lord will make his adversary weak. The Lord is holy. The wise must not boast in his wisdom. The strong must not boast in his strength. And the wealthy must not boast in his wealth. Rather, the one who boasts should boast in this, to understand and know the Lord and to practice justice and righteousness In the midst of the land, the Lord went up into the heavens and thundered. He will judge the heights of the earth and give strength to our kings and lift high the horn of his anointed. That's from a translation of the Greek Old Testament. Same ideas in the Hebrew, by the way. And so, therefore, this is the ground for what Paul is saying here. Throughout the Bible, we learn this truth. We can only boast in God. And if we boast in what we can do for God, we don't understand it. If we boast in what we have compared to someone else, we don't understand it. The great songs that were sung when God did a mighty work were sung by people who had been saved by God. Israel didn't Get themselves out of Egypt. God did it. Anna, Mary in Luke 1. There are so many different examples of this. So that's what Paul is talking about. Now let's have some implications and applications. First one, godly boasting. I think I can help this by just giving a little bit less heat. Is that better? Better? I'm gonna keep preaching then. Godly boasting is grounded in God's work of grace alone. Those who boast in God can only do so because God reconciled previous enemies to himself. God reconciles enemies. Let's look at Romans 5, two through three. Now you may wonder what CSB is. Well, Christian Standard Bible is the latest version of the Holman Christian Standard Bible and there's a study no bible that goes with it but in this case i thought it brought out the greek the best romans 5 2 and 3. we also excuse me we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of god and not only this but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, so here's the same word used in First Corinthians one, both as something we ought not to do, boast before God, and something we ought to do, boasting what God's done for us. Same word. Paul addresses it in Romans two. "Cakomai" is the word. It sounds like boast, doesn't it? It's a, it's a strong word, and it's, it's used twice right here in this passage. So if we have access to God by faith in Christ, what do we boast in? We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, let's ask ourselves this question. Is the glory of God progressively coming into the world through history and the church taking dominion over this, that, and the other thing? Or is this glory something we have by faith now and we're assured of in its fullness at the return of Christ in the eschaton I believe it's the latter because we see that in Romans 8 when it says that God is working all things together for the good of those who love God are called according to his purpose if we read on the ultimate example of that is that those who know him are conformed to his image And that's not now. If we thought this is it, we've got it all right now. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't feel very confident. In fact, any honest person would say, we need even more because God is at work, but we need the future glorification. Now look at the word access there. We have obtained access. The context Romans five one is peace with God. Peace with God. What does that mean? Again, so often this has got been taught wrongly. Peace with God doesn't mean inner serenity or a state of mind. It means the reconciliation of previous enemies. We were God's enemies. We didn't want anything to do with him. I don't care if we were religious. I don't care if we always went to church. And we think that we really would be great in some religious sense. Peace with God means reconciliation of enemies. And so this access we have is God's doing, not ours. And we'll see this in many other places by faith into this grace in which we stand. How do we stand, by the way? I notice, just to make you an application that I can see just in the world we live in right now, some of us have been around a long time and we went through times where everyone was shaken. Sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed, it, people are just afraid. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know where it's going to go. Every time we turn on the news, it reminds us, this is bad, that is bad. There's a lot of instability and sorrow and shaking. Maybe I'm the only one that noticed that, but I don't think so. We lived through that before. And there's so many passages we could preach about that. Just get your concordance out. I remember looking at Hebrews. We've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So if we trust in man... We boast in man, rely on man, we're going to shake. We're going to be shaken. And we're going to have despair and hopelessness. But if we believe the promises of God and we trust in him through his work through Christ, we have access in prayer. We know who God is because he's revealed himself. And we can stand. How will we endure? How will we stand? Only by what God has done for us. Those who hope in man are always disappointed. They're always shaken. And I talked about that, and Eric talked about that, but we need to believe that God does keep his promises. Endurance here, hupomene, means to stay under stay under to stay firm in God and believe him and however bad it gets that's it we have God we have his promises he said I'll never leave you nor forsake you therefore we may boldly say the Lord is my helper I shall not fear what will man do unto me that's in the Bible I know I can't tell you the verse I think it's in Hebrews so, how are you going to stay under? How are you going to endure? I don't know the future other than what the Bible predicts, but I know we have a shaking going on throughout the whole world right now. Flipsis is pressure, flictions. Flipsis means to be just pressured, extreme pressure that pushes in on us. How do we endure the pressures? That we're facing, um, only by hoping in God. Turn to this passage. Let me cite One Peter four eighteen. Excuse me, seventeen through nineteen. Go ahead and turn to it. I think we should look at this. One Peter four seventeen through nineteen. We know that. People don't have hope in man. We know it's only in God. But what about us? 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19. I'm quoting it from the Christian Standard Bible. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? Peter continues. And if a righteous person... Is saved with difficulty. What will become the uh, of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse nineteen. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful Creator while doing what is good. No one escapes suffering in this world if they're realistic at all there's nothing about this fallen world as it is that's going to bring heaven on earth as we go through life we lose loved ones we see people that we thought would do fine abandon the faith we see pressure sorrows, difficulties in fact people come to the point where No matter how much money they have, it can't help anymore because they're too sick. How about how many doctors have quit lately? People are thinking, I have enough money for the doctor, but they quit. Some people have said that. I've seen that. But God's going to take care of us, and we need to commit ourselves to God. Now, think about this. Wouldn't it be foolish if you don't even know God to think, well, I'll be fine, No, we're not fine. So we need to entrust ourselves, as Peter said, to a faithful creator and ask him to work in us so we might live lives that would reflect the fact that we've received grace from him. Let's go forward a little bit. And I have the intervening verses that we can look at to Romans 5.11. So the reason I brought... I didn't have enough room for so many slides, but we looked at two and three. Let's see where this is going. And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Why do we need reconciliation? Because we were enemies of God. We didn't trust him. We didn't honor him. We didn't live in a way that was pleasing to him. Because we were dead in sins. So, how can we boast in God? Well, God has given us the gospel. Let me read a few verses about how God's going to do this. You can turn here. That's in Romans 5, 4 through 5, and 6, and 7. I'll just read a few of these. It says endurance produces proven character. That means to be put to the test. The word in the Greek says to be put into the crucible, tried, tested. And when you're done, it's the real thing. How can that happen? God is using the same difficulties, sorrows, afflictions, fears, fears, Weaknesses that all the world has. But the difference is, if we're trusting in Christ, those things become a crucible to show we really do have faith. Our hope doesn't go away when the world gets shaken, our hope doesn't dissipate when we get sick or we lose someone that we love or when we're attacked and hated because we love Christ if we know Christ those afflictions will be the crucible that will cause us to see that we do really have something from God there's a verb it means to put to the test if somebody gives you a very nice diamond and you want to make sure it's real where do you go? somebody that knows what a diamond really is, and it can be proven genuine. If you're hearing me preach on this today, is your faith genuine? Has God saved you? Has the blood of Jesus Christ washed away your sins? Are you trusting God? Are you reconciled to God? Do you have peace with God? If we're trusting him alone, the answer is yes. But then what about all these afflictions? They're going to prove that we have the real thing. I know that from experience. When things get as bad as they can get, are you still crying out to the Lord Jesus? Or are you saying, I think I can get through this. I'm fine. I'll, I'll be all right. I don't need God. I don't need anything. For the Christian, this dokimazo, this tested reality, the putting to the test, will prove that we have genuine faith. Let me just again cite some more from Romans. Romans five, eight and nine. But God proves his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Romans five eight, Christ died for us. Romans five eight. Romans five: nine: How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. Romans five and verse nine. I mentioned this last week. What are we saved from if we trust in Christ? An unhappy life? lack of self-esteem? No, we're saved from God's wrath. Think about it. Let's look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, I think that's the grand delusion that keeps so many people from the gospel. Very few who have never heard the gospel or have never believed the gospel or are religious in a Christian sense would say, if asked, are you God's enemy? How many people are going to say yes to that? Very few. Some may. There might be some who are saying, well, I don't believe there is a God. The, the agnostic says, I don't know if there's a God. The atheist says, there is no God. Well, that's really foolish because that's a universal negative and you can't figure that out. If there is a God you don't know him, you can say that. But how many people who grow up in churches would ever say, I'm God's enemy? Very few. Very, very few. God's okay. I think, I think that'd be good to be religious. Or I grew up, what kind of answers do you get our evangelists report different people they talk to? Well, I'm this and I'm that, I'm that. Does anybody say, well, I'm God's enemy. Don't tell me this stuff. No, they don't, we don't think that. We were deluded. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we realize we need reconciliation to God. We need Christ. We need the gospel. And so for those who know him, we were still enemies when he did this. So much more then, verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, we'll be saved through him from wrath. I quoted that. We were enemies reconciled to God if we trust in him. There are tenses here. We will be saved by his life. Now verse 11. Not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've received this reconciliation. Let me ask you a question. Most people think God does his part, I do my part, however little or small that or big it is. Then we end up with reconciliation. But does the Bible teach that? Man does his part. God does his part. Man adds something to it. In the end you get reconciliation. That's not what's taught. God gets all the glory because God did it. And we receive it by faith, by believing and hearing the gospel. Talked about this last week. Abram and Ur of the Chaldees wasn't thinking, I'm sick of this. I'd rather take off and have a new religion started in my name. No, God did it. So if you look at the whole picture, notice I mentioned uh, verses 1 through 11. I covered a few of those. You have all the tenses of salvation, including the past. We were enemies, but God Brought salvation to those who believe, present, we are being saved, we are being justified in the future. And it points to ultimately being saved by his life that is ultimately glorified. So for those who trust Christ alone, do not trust self, do not trust man, do not trust religion, do not trust good works, And no, because they've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm lost, I'm dead, I need God. And you can only come to him in a saving way through Jesus Christ. All the tenses are covered. Reconciled to God, being saved by his life. And we have future hope that when his wrath is poured out, we'll be not under it. Past, present, future. We were helpless. Verse 6 says, we were helpless. The Greek word is very, very interesting. We were helpless. We were sinners. But we will be saved by his life. Now let's look at some more about reconciliation. We'll go over to Second Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. A lot of the same words are used in the Greek. And Paul here is defending his own apostolic ministry. But in doing so is also referencing every believer whose status is due to God, not what we do for him. Okay, 2 Corinthians five eighteen and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So as I said, though he's defending his gospel and his ministry, because some were saying, Paul is not really an apostle, doesn't really speak for God, don't listen to him. In the process, he's telling us the truth that every gospel preacher should know, that God is given to those who preach tr- the truth a ministry and message of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 20, we find the Greek word katalaso uh, three times, and the noun is also used. Now, let, let me go to verse 20 here, and then we'll put this together. We go to the next slide. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God today. Be reconciled to God. And so many, so many, including me at one time, they hear all this and they think, wait a second. If God gets all the glory... God does the work. God alone is the Savior. Then what, why give me an imperative, be reconciled to God? God uses means. God has ordained and chosen that he would use the preaching of the gospel to save those who will believe. And if I believe that, I'll preach the gospel. If I think that somewhere the sinner has something to offer God, try to entice them to do more and try harder and go through these religious works. You know what else is so great about this? If this is a gift of God, you can't really sell it. People sell religion. As I've uh, talked to different people over the decades, whether on the street or in churches or wherever I might be, there's so much shame and offense it's been brought to the gospel by TV preachers, scandals that were people make grandiose claims that never added up. And it's really an obstacle. And so they, they say, well, look at this and look at that. But if we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus and him crucified, and not try to turn this into a kingdom For the religious innovators the reconciliation with God is his grace and his work some and I've talked to many have come to Christ hearing things that really weren't quite right but it was about Christ and they know him and they later realize wait a second the people that told me about Christ they have all this other stuff but you still love him don't you and that's happened to so many people So here is, I believe, the best thing any preacher, any of us, any Christian can do. Teach the truth and the pure word of God. Because we know this, and this is revealed in the scripture. That everyone who truly knows God does so because they've been born of God by his spirit. And the same spirit who regenerated dead sinners, who came to us through the gospel, who filled us and anointed us, even if somebody had all kinds of really not so great ideas, when they hear it, something, God, God does something. His True sons and daughters are born again with a hunger for the truth. I know that. And if we teach it, they they will hunger to hear more. I told you about um, when I was a brand new Christian, and I sat in a class by Reverend Smith, who was the one that probably knew the original language is better than anyone And I used to sit there with a really crude little tape recorder trying to tape his class on the Gospel of John. I was brand new. I couldn't get enough. Not because Reverend Smith was a better teacher than anybody else, although he was very talented, but it was the truth. I'll share one thing. I've been going through looking for resources to Study that I've read in the past, and I found a little folder that I'd forgotten I ever had. It was from 1973. It had the date on it. And I evidently had asked Reverend Smith if I could turn in my uh, test on the Gospel of John in, with Greek, which wasn't required. I just found that. And so you type out, and I think Diane typed it because my typing is pretty bad. Then a blank, and I wrote it into Greek more typing, blank, and I wrote in and I And I listed all the resources. And on there, Reverend Smith said, oh, there's so many tests. I can't do justice to this. There's a couple of resources that would have helped you. This is very well done. I found that. And then we got an email from someone who had also been there at that time who said, I've been listening to this and I remember these people. I remember this. Now, wherever you came from, if you can hear the truth, you'll hunger for it. You'll grow. And those who say, well, no, 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 you can't teach in detail because people won't want to come. For the people, I didn't want to come. I didn't even want to go to church. But if you're born of God, you will hunger for it. What did God say? It may not be what I like. It may not be what I thought, but God is going to use it. And so, if there's any like the person who contacted me and so many others, all different kind of groups, all different kind of Christian groups, preach the word of God with clarity and purity and study to show yourself approved. God will use it. God will use it and the saints will be equipped so that if we get it wrong, they can be part of saying, wait a second, I don't think that's quite right, and we can learn. Let me cite a definition of this idea of being reconciled, katalaso from the Greek, from the complete word study dictionary, the New Testament. Years of the divine work of redemption, denoting that act of redemption Insofar as God Himself is concerned by taking upon Himself our sin, and becoming an atonement, continuing with this definition of reconcile, or reconciliation, or to be reconciled. Thus, it says, a relationship of peace with mankind is established, which was hitherto prevented by the demands of. Is justice. In Lasso? God is the subject, man is the object. Why is that interesting? God does it. Peace with God has been misinterpreted to be a warm, fuzzy feeling. Everybody wants peace. But what do the false prophets say in the Old Testament? Peace, peace when there is no peace. Peace with God comes by God, not by us. And we mentioned in Sunday School, we do want justice. But ultimate justice means if we're going to ever be standing in just relationship to God, he did a work of grace And he covered our sins. He washed away our sins. He cleansed us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let me share the gospel right here. What does it mean to be reconciled to God in Christ? What is the gospel? The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about who he is, the second person of the Trinity... God the Son, the creator of the universe, who created the entire universe, including Earth, out of nothing. He came into the world that He created, according to John 1 1 through 18. He was born of a virgin, as Eric will show us as he goes through Matthew, and we've seen in many other places. The virgin birth was predicted in the Old Testament. He was fully human, fully God in the incarnation. He lived a sinless life. He did many, many miracles and mighty deeds that nobody else could do. Get that right. We've been doing some podcasts on people who claim they're going to do greater miracles than Jesus. Well, why would you, what would that imply? Well, that Christ didn't do anything unique. That's false and we're rejecting that. The uniqueness of Christ is proven by the fact that he's the only virgin-born savior, the only sinless one, the only one who did mighty deeds that no one else can do, the only one whose death was efficacious for sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the only one who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, it actually was raised from the dead nobody ever found a body they all agreed the tomb was empty the only one raised was bodily ascended into heaven it sits and reigns at the right hand of God and he will come again to bring judgment which is a complex event but it will happen Psalm 110 and verse 1 that's who he is that's what he did why do we need him because we're lost without Him. We're God's enemy. I was fooling myself before I knew God. I didn't think I was so bad. It was pretty obvious that I was to anybody that saw me. But you know how we rationalize our own state? But yeah, but somebody's worse. You know how we rationalize? Well, I'm not Hitler. Well, that's good. I'm better than a lot of people that I know. But we're enemies of God. So that's why we need him. The wrath of God abides on those who are his enemies. And whether we believe it or not, that's what we were or are. What does he say? What do we need to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance for forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations. Today, God is calling each one who hears this to trust in Christ, repent, believe in him, turn to him, and trust him. If you do, and you rejoice in what you previously hated, that's a work of God alone. God does that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens when that is what God has done through the gospel? Let's go to the last slide. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a reversal of status the lost are saved the rebellious love the things of God the ones that are filled with hatred and bitterness and nastiness toward everyone receive the fruit of the spirit as God is at work love, joy, peace, long suffering mercy, kindness, all these things That's from God. That's not self-improvement. And you might say, well, I'm a Christian, but I wish those things showed up more often. So do I. I definitely need those things to predominate, predominate, be uh, prevalent in my life. There it is. And we all do. And the accuser of the brethren would certainly remind us of all our failures, but we're not trusting in ourselves, we're trusting in God. So the new creation has already begun amongst those who know Christ and are redeemed. And it'll be completed in eternity. The old has passed away, the new has come. This reversal is shown throughout the Bible. There's so much we could say about that. And I know that this will continue to be our theme as we preach through the Bible. It's also taught, Galatians 6.15, a new creation. A new creation is something God can do. The old creation didn't evolve through billions and billions and billions of years. Anybody who studies science knows disorder doesn't, by its own nature, turn into order. Did you know that? Well, if you didn't know that, have you ever uh, driven through a rural area where houses, cars, roads were abandoned and left to their own, with nobody taking care of them? What do you see when you do that? Oh, there's now there's a there's a new roof. the The road is paved. The lawn is Mode. Look at the pretty flowers. Is that what you see when something just left to its own way? No. Rusted cars. I was down in Arkansas to preach a teacher of Romans and I saw somebody left a car in their yard and a tree went right up through the roof of the car. There's a car. that'd be a hard restoration project. The tree's growing through the car. Does, has anybody ever seen Disorder turn into order through time plus chance. I have never seen that. So why, does, why do so many people believe in evolution? Why? Because they're deluded. We need a new creation, not just to wait to see order show up. No, it doesn't do that. So I, by God's grace, I hope today we get a better picture of what it means to boast in God. And what it really means is that only God could ever take a lost sinner and turn us into a new creation, any one of us. That's how it happens, not of self, not of works. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness. That you have worked in the lives of so many, none of us having anything to offer you, and showing us your kindness and your grace through Jesus Christ. And give us boldness, dear Lord, to have this message be reconciled to God. May we be clear. May you deliver me and all of us from the fear of man, and may we have confidence to preach the truth, and to show people that the shaking is only going to get worse until they come to Christ, and then we have stability. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.